News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete of the show. Talking about the State of the Union Address, playing some audio, getting your thoughts on it. But uh, I wanted to bring back onto the program the chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, Michael Watley, to uh, to talk about it as well. Hey, Michael, how are you? Doing great. Thank you, sir. So um, did you play any drinking games while watching the speech last night? Did you get one of the bingo cards or something? You know, I did not. <laughs> Fortunately, you know, what we saw from the president was entirely predictable, um, you know, and, and, and really uh, a failed opportunity to reset uh, his administration and his priorities. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, the, the crises that we have right now uh, with Russia, with uh, China, with inflation, with our southern border, uh, you know, basically he doubled down on every single one of those. Uh, in terms of his approach uh, and his refusal to reach across the aisle uh, and and say that he's going to signal uh, a new set of conversations with the Republicans. So I, I I thought, well, baby steps, right? The defund the police line, um, th- that was positive, right? <laughs> well, it was positive, and I, I think it's important uh, to, to make sure that we do back the blue. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for him to distance himself you know, either from that or the COVID mandates that he both uh, said that he wants to move beyond because he was so intransigent over the course of his first year in office uh, on both of those issues. But, uh, you know, we, we will take those changes and uh, move forward with them where we can. But I think that he did miss an opportunity for a broader reset uh, in terms of his approach to the economy and, and, uh, and our border. Yeah, uh, I was a little unclear on his plan to combat inflation by making more stuff free for people and have the government picking up more of that tab. Can you explain any of that? Look, I I think one of the single largest, if not the single largest factor uh, why we have inflation is that we've got runaway federal spending. You know, you've got a $1.9 trillion COVID bill. 9% 9% of it went to COVID, the rest was social spending. Uh, you got your $1.7 trillion infrastructure bill, uh, you know, that also has a large component of social spending. Uh, and his answer is to, to pass the Build Back Better bill, which is nothing but social spending with it. Uh, so it would actually just pour more gasoline on that fire rather than put it out. I did. I, I liked some of the stuff that he said about you know making things in America, semiconductors and the like. I thought that was good. It sounded almost Trumpian to my ears. Well, and we certainly do need to make it in America. Uh, and I think that uh, when we look at our supply chain issues, a lot of them head back to China, and we do need uh, to protect ourselves, you know, from China, and we need to have those things in place. So yes, very glad to hear those, um, but. Uh, you know, we also need to, to recognize that uh, Made in America should also uh, include our energy. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, the first thing he did when he got into office was declare war on United States American energy. And, uh, you know, that simultaneously drove up prices for all of us uh, and made us more dependent on Russia and OPEC. But it also gave Putin a huge financial shot in the arm because they doubled the price of oil. Uh, from $52 the day he took office to $111, I think it is today. Uh, and Putin is exporting more oil to the United States today than he was a year ago. So I had a caller in the last hour who suggested that um, 
and this is something I say usually, which is that if you don't understand the conclusions or what you're witnessing, reassess your assumptions. And um, the caller suggested, is it possible that Biden was compromised or something by the Russians? And that's why he made these decisions that are really like impossible to understand. Well, I think he is uh, compromised by the left and by the progressives. When you look at his adherence to the Green New Deal, uh, the fact that he refuses to uh, have a conversation about Keystone XL or, you know, increasing oil and gas production here in the United States and says that we're going to have renewables that are going to get out of this, uh, that, that just shows uh, a tone deafness to the American people. Uh, and if you look at all of his spending ideas, those are coming from the radical progressive left. I frankly thought it was almost humorous that uh, the, the, the radicals, the progressives, the squad felt that they needed to rebut his speech because he had not gone far enough left uh, when he is clearly out of step with the rest of the American people. Yeah. Um, I, I, I share that uh, sentiment. I, I, I think the most obvious explanation is what you just said, that he is beholden to that uh, part of the base. Uh, let me shift gears real quick uh, because I saw that the GOP filed an amicus brief uh, in the uh, the case of Madison Cawthorn and whether or not the State Board of Elections can keep him off the ballot based on, was it the 14th Amendment, right, and the uh, that was uh, targeting the the Confederate politicians so they couldn't get back into office afterwards. So what's the what's the nature of the brief that the GOP filed? Well, look, the, the Constitution is very clear that the conditions for serving as a member of Congress shall be set uh, by Congress and uh, the elections shall be held by the states. But uh, for this uh, board of elections uh, to say that they actually have the authority to keep them off the ballot is absolutely nothing but a smear tactic. You know, we've seen uh, a group out of Washington, D.C., Democrats uh, that have filed uh, a suit to try and keep him off the ballot, uh, saying that his uh, participation in January 6th uh, makes him an insurrectionist. Uh, he's not been charged or convicted of anything of the sort. Uh, and it's, uh, they, they've said that they are using this as the first of many opportunities to go after uh, Republican members and try and keep them off the board. Our Board of Elections has absolutely nothing to do uh, with those qualifications, uh, and that's why we're intervening uh, to, to say that they need to manage the elections uh, in a you know uh, fair way, not try and intervene uh, you know and keep people off the ballot. Yeah, um, former Supreme Court Judge Bob Orr is uh is part of that effort and um he's also he was also one of the special masters in the redistricting case i don't know i I just feel like i need to ask like do you have any idea like what's up with him (laughs) what uh you know i gotta say i'm terribly disappointed on both counts because i think in in both cases uh he is pushing ideas that are unconstitutional uh the fact is is that uh you know it is up to the voters of north carolina and Congress to determine who's a member of Congress, not the Board of Elections. Uh, and we also feel that the Constitution, both the U.S. Constitution and the state Constitution, say that it is up to the legislators to be able to draw the congressional lines, not a three-judge panel uh, or a Supreme Court. So the North Carolina courts are clearly out of step with the Constitution and the U.S. Supreme Court. 
so we're we're very disappointed in both of those. Yeah. Uh, Chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, Michael Watley, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, sir. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Pete. All right, take it easy. Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. All right, so back to the State of the Union speech. The president said uh, that the United States is giving more than a billion dollars in assistance to Ukraine. Well, it shouldn't have taken something so terrible for people around the world to see what's at stake. Now everyone sees it clearly. We see the unity among leaders of nations, a more unified Europe, a more unified West, we see unity among the people who are gathering in cities and large crowds around the world, even in Russia, to demonstrate their support for the people of Ukraine. In the battle between democracy and autocracies, democracies are rising to the moment, and the world is clearly choosing the side of peace and security. This is the real test, and it's going to take time. So let us continue to draw inspiration from the iron will of the Ukrainian people. To our fellow Ukrainian Americans who forged the deep bond that connects our two nations, we stand with you. We stand with you. Putin may circle Kyiv with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. He'll never, he'll never experience their love of freedom. And he will never, never weaken the resolve of the free world. All right, did you hear what happened there? That's why I said that was one of the examples I said earlier where he messes up a word. And applause starts to break out as if trying to cover for the mistake to create noise. When he called the Ukrainian people, the Iranian people, you heard that and then nobody joined. And then like they kind of forced it to happen then. And it's uh, it's not the only example. And so it got me thinking, here's my own hypothesis. Was there some sort of, like, coordinated tactic of, of people to, like, all right, if, he's, if he messes up anywhere, just start clapping. And everybody else will join in. You don't need that many people to be in on that conspiracy. You just need, like, two, right? Actually, yeah, you just need one person in the audience, somebody just to come up with the idea of, like, anytime he messes up, I'm going to start clapping. So you could even do it with just one. But it sounded like more of a coordinated effort. There's my conspiracy theory for the day. Let's bounce over here to Tom. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the program. Oh, well, thank you, Pete. How are you going to die? I'm all right. What's up? Um, I just had a question. I've heard, you know, over the last couple of weeks about this redistricting program and how these this three-judge panel or whatever they are uh, redrew the districting lines. Mm-hmm. And then I hear people like this last gentleman you had on, uh, it sounds like he's saying that they don't have the right to do that or something. Maybe I'm no, that's reading re- a little bit more into it. No, you're correct. Say, you're correct. The special masters, that the, the state constitution and the U.S. constitution, they have rules set up for who draws the maps for the Congress and for the state legislature and Nowhere does it have special masters drawing those maps. Well, why do we abide by it then? I believe if I was in a position of authority, I would tell them, you know, uh, that that was an enjoyable letter to read, but uh, 
they can go spend their time doing something else. I'm going back to the lines that were legally drawn. So a couple things. Number one, um, they have appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. The General Assembly has appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court on that very question. Um, And this is going to I suspect that the Supreme Court is going to punt because that's generally what they like to do. They're going to say that it's too close to an election, so they're not going to mess with it. And they're going to allow the maps to stand, and then we're going to vote in this election, and then uh, they're going to have to draw new maps anyway for the next election. So I suspect that's the way it plays out. Um, As for going a more scorched earth kind of route, like you suggested to to just ignore it, like, uh, okay, well, you've made your ruling, now let's see you enforce it. Well, that would prompt a constitutional crisis. And you don't know how that how that turns out, you know. Okay, I don't. I guess I don't exactly understand what you just. I mean, I did. I heard you, but this constitutional crisis. Right. I don't. You're going to put two branches. You'll put two branches against each other. You're going to pit two branches against each other, and without any kind of clarity as to how that gets resolved, because there isn't any blueprint for how it gets resolved. But it doesn't sound like we started that fight. It sounds like they started it, so we would just be, you know, not letting them run over us is what it seems to me like. Right, but th- and I, that's why the conservative uh, position is to exhaust all existing remedies, right, that, that we have at our disposal, which would be through the courts. You'd go to the U.S. Supreme Court to make that argument because that's the, you know, that's the norm, that's... The status quo, that's the appropriate way to settle this stuff, because that's what all of this is, right? These, you know, politics, I've said this before, right, that politics is us talking about our disagreements. And if we can't reach uh, a conclusion based on our politics, then that just leaves war. That leaves violence. So I'm all about trying to fix everything before it turns violent. That's my and if you go down the constitutional crisis pathway, you're way more likely to have violence. Okay. Well, uh, I, I understand what you said, and I appreciate it. All right, it. yeah. I, I just, no, but what do I know, Tom? Like, here, and I think I would still tell them to stay in their lane. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I mean, they, And they have been saying that, but how do you enforce it? And, Tom, what do I know, man? I'm just a guy who talks on the radio. So, you know, don't <laughs> listen to anything I have to say about it. Uh, appreciate the call, man. Good to hear from you. Thanks, Pete. All right, take care. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me jump on over here. This is uh, Larry Pittman from the legislature. Hello, Larry. How are you? Fine. I hope you are. I cannot complain. Well, I do complain, actually. Uh, three hours a day, actually. Anyway, uh, what's going on? Well, I was wanting to respond to the concern raised by, I believe his name was Tom, about if the legislator is supposed to write the, it's my understanding of his concern was we're supposed to draw the districts, and the court really shouldn't be messing in it. Why do we go along with that? Um, one thing I have to say, much as I don't like that myself, um, years ago, can't remember what year it was, when Republicans were not in the majority, they went to court and challenged what the Democrats had done with redistricting. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard for us now to say y'all can't do that. You know? Yeah, no, it's a fair point. And the, the, a lot of the rules that got written uh, about how to draw the maps came out of those 
challenges that Republicans made of the Democrats' gerrymanders. Yeah, of course, you know, in 2017 and 2019, when they did redistrict, and I'm the only member of the legislature still on the floor and said, I'm not going to vote for this because it's unconstitutional for us to be doing it before the next census. Mm. And so I, you know, even though uh, 2019 especially gave me a better district, I still voted no because I objected to doing that before the census. It's supposed to be every 10 years. Our Constitution, state Constitution, very plainly states that. And so, um, but this time, you know, it was legitimate to do. And uh, as much as I don't like the courts getting involved, since we've done that before, you kind of can't tell the Democrats they can't. Interesting. So you uh, do you disagree with the um, with the the appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court on this? Well, no, not really, because, you know, we've already opened that uh, bag of stuff, and so you kind of have to go on with it. Uh, I I feel like there's too much deference to the courts in our leadership, but, uh, uh, you know, it it really is none of the court's business, but you've kind of already let the cat out of the bag. It's going to happen, you know. Well, two things. So first off, my... My big issue with all of this stuff is I feel like I'm playing a game of Democratic Calvin Ball. You know what Calvin Ball is? No, I don't know that one. So remember the old comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Calvin Ball was this game that they would play where they would make up the rules as they play. Right. And that's what I feel like we're trapped in, where every single time we go through another redistricting process— we get another set of rules, and they just keep changing them as we're going, so you can't ever follow the rules and get the maps you want. It's always just a premise for litigation. Well, and I feel like we tried to bend over backwards to be fair in what we did, and it wasn't enough yeah. on the other side. And I'm afraid uh, since that uh, process got open some time ago, it's just going to keep on that way. So when Tom suggested, and you kind of made a reference to it as well, but... Uh, the deference to the courts and what caller Tom was asking, well, why don't we just ignore them? Like, you've made your ruling, now try to enforce it. So what do you think happens if the state legislature were to just say, we're not going to follow your maps at all? Like, then then what happens? What's the, what's the game theory on that? Well, <laughs> you're right about it being a constitutional crisis, but I think the constitutional crisis already exists because we're letting the courts do it. Hmm. Um, I'm more of uh, the uh, Andrew Jackson type, you know, see if you can enforce it when you're doing stuff that's really none of your business. Right, so just ignore the ruling and just proceed as if there was no different map, I guess. Yeah, then then what, the executive branch steps in with some sort of enforcement mechanism? I I, I don't even know. That's what I mean. A constitutional crisis is that. Mm -hmm. I think in in my understanding of what that term means is simply that there isn't any clear path for people to follow and so anything can happen including the dissolution of some of the bonds of the constitution yeah well i think the thing is uh i've tried to be a stickler for upholding the constitution and really the constitution says what it says and that's what we should go with but i'm one of the very few people in the legislature who's willing to take that stand Mm. so i'm kind of just about by myself on it. I hear you. Larry, thanks for uh, the call. I appreciate it. Good to talk with you. 
Yes, sir. You take care. All right, uh, Representative uh, Larry Pittman, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that would, uh, I don't know how that would track the game theory on that. You know, you try to see the different angles, what happens, and you know, and to some degree, there is an example of this unfolding with the school funding the Leandro lawsuit, where you've got this off the rails judge out of Union County that. Uh, is trying to direct the legislature how much money it needs to spend on education based on a plan that Democrats drew up fund and, and um, uh, with the assistance of that consultant out of California that they brought in in a collusive way. Like the, the plaintiffs and the defendants are all on the same page on this. They're yeah, they're all, they all agree. And so now they're going to get a judge who agrees in order, to, they're going to get that judge who was appointed by Cooper after uh, Howard Manning retired. They're going to get this other judge to force the legislature to set spending levels for education. Really? Like, that's not your role as a judge. That's that's a constitutional crisis brewing. Because what happens then? He's going to, like what, he's going to issue some sort of an order? And then what, if you're not in compliance with the order, now what, you're going to hold the legislature or the legislative leaders in contempt of court? And then what are you going to do? Are you going to go bring them down to the courthouse to get them to do what? To draft legislation and force everybody to vote on? Is that the idea? And if they don't do that, then what do you do? Do you throw them in prison? Because they won't secure a majority vote for your legislative preference. See, that's a constitutional crisis, and that's the path we're on, on the Leandro side of things. I'll keep you posted, you know, when developments occur. All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Back to the State of the Union speech. He did start off, the president started off talking about Ukraine and uh, then shifted gears uh, into domestic stuff. And uh, he said, hey, his top priority is the economy. Uh, That's not a joke. That's what he said. It's the economy. We meet tonight in an America that has lived through two of the hardest years this nation has ever faced. The pandemic has been punishing, and so many families are living paycheck to paycheck, struggling to keep up with the rising cost of food, gas, housing, and so much more. I understand, like many of you did. My dad had to leave his home in Scranton, Pennsylvania, to find work. So like many of you, I grew up in a family. When the price of food went up, it was felt throughout the family. It had an impact. That's one of the first things I did as president was fight to pass the American Rescue Plan. Because people were hurting. We needed to act, and we did. Few pieces of legislation have done more at a critical moment in our history to lift us out of a crisis. It fueled our efforts to vaccinate the nation and combat COVID-19. Delivered immediate economic relief to tens of millions of Americans. It helped put food on the table. Remember those long lines of cars waiting for hours just to get a box of food put in their trunk? It cut the cost of health care insurance. And as my dad used to say, it gave the people just a little bit of breathing room. 
Unlike the $2 trillion tax cut passed in the previous administration that benefited the top 1% of Americans, the American Rescue Plan... The American Rescue Plan helped working people and left no one behind. Left no one behind. All right, first off, that's not the thing that he said there. It's not true. It didn't just benefit the top 1%. Everybody got a tax cut, number one. Um, but from a, from a guy who just got through talking about unity, about how the whole world, including Republicans and Democrats, who are all coming together, unified, standing with Ukraine, bipartisanship, America, America, like, and then you turn around and say that. It's like they cannot help themselves. (laughs) So he says that this bill worked, this law worked. It created millions of jobs, the most ever. And uh, then he started repeating Donald Trump's campaign platform. There's something happening in America. Just look around and you'll see an amazing story. The rebirth of pride that comes from stamping products made in America. Revitalization of American manufacturing. Companies are choosing to build new factories here. When just a few years ago, they would have gone overseas. Wow, wait a minute. That's what's happening. Ford is investing $11 billion in electric vehicles, creating 11,000 jobs across the country. GM is making the largest investment in its history, $7 billion to build electric vehicles, creating 4,000 jobs in Michigan. All told, 369,000 new manufacturing jobs were created in America last year alone. people I've met like Jojo Burgess who from generations of union steel workers in Pittsburgh oh he's a guest here tonight where are you Jojo there you go thanks buddy as Ohio as Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown says Sherrod Brown says it's time to bury the label Rust Belt it's time to see the the what used to be called Rust Belt become the the, the, the home of, of, of a significant resurgence of manufacturing. Uh, and with all the bright spots in our that, economy. There it was again. It just happened again, right? He stumbles, he fumbles, he mumbles, he slurs, and here come the the clap here comes the clapping. I cannot believe that that is not a premeditated tactic that when he starts struggling, just start clapping, just drown him out. It's not a bad tactic, by the way. It isn't. Um, I do also take a little bit of exception to the reliance on the job creation numbers there as if this is like some fantastic feat. Like, look at me, I created all these jobs. Well, no, you closed down all of the businesses first, right? When you shut down all the businesses, then those jobs like go away first and then them coming back, it's that's not like a normal economic cycle thing going on there. All right, so I I do I do take exception <laughs> to that. Uh he then says, "Look, the economy roared back faster than anybody predicted." But the pandemic meant that businesses had a hard time hiring enough people because of the pandemic to keep up production in their factories. So you didn't have people making those beams that went in the buildings because they were out. The factory was closed. 
The panic also disrupted the global supply chain. Factories close. When that happens, it takes longer to make goods and get them to the warehouses, to the stores, and go, prices go up. Look at cars last year. One third of all the inflation was because of automobile sales. All right, so he's squarely blaming the pandemic for inflation. This is the, this is the path they're going to take, obviously. That the pandemic, that they were you know powerless to react to in any other way than the way in which they did. Right. That's what we are to believe. They had to do everything they did. They made the right decisions every single time. They were always guided by the science and data. And because of that, we have inflation and Russia. Sorry. Also, Russia. Right. Russia invading Ukraine is why we've got the inflation, too. It is not the completely predictable and predicted result of all of the spending. Spending that was not all needed. Like, just because you passed the bill with the multi-trillion dollar price tag on it doesn't mean that that worked. And it doesn't mean that all the money that got passed was appropriate. And it doesn't mean that all the money was actually spent in ways that minimized people's... uh, uh, negative impact from COVID. So I I don't just accept... I don't accept any of that argument that he's making, actually. No, inflation is due to the spending. Now, you can argue that you had to do the spending. I think the evidence is to the contrary, but it's also Russia. But that's the reason for the, uh, the inflation. He took no responsibility for the inflation. All right, news is next. We'll get to more audio after that. <laughs> 